0: Been a minute it has been uh, yeah it's been 525 thousand six hundred minutes. minutes no it hasn't been a year but man it feels like it it does feel like it I forgot what you look like here I am in person I see you <laughs> it's my face it's my sweaty face coming yeah, at you fun. live from um 106 degree Sacramento California my vehicle's at 108 so oh okay well, everybody kept being like, oh, my God, I'm just loving the summer weather. And I was so like, oh, beautiful. I was like, just fucking wait, dude. It's going to get nasty. And here we are. In the devil's butthole. Um, so I have a controversial topic. Uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Even more controversial. <laughs> just kidding. Nothing's more controversial than that. Um, do you dog ear library books? yes I do do you think most people do
1: I'm gonna say no because in my experience with checking out books in the
0: library they often are not dog-eared okay so that's what I thought and Zach white boy at the book party aka my husband aka just a fucking a little waspy boy love you babe mm. um <laughs> He was, like, shaming me for dog-earing my library book. However, I was often dog-earing it where a dog-ear had already been. Also,
1: like, the library, we pay for the library. It's our library. Those are our books.
0: I feel that. And that's kind of my argument, too. And I feel like the argument against that could be, like, they will last less long if um oops sorry we're distracted (laughs) my cat book is literally crawling up a curtain so we're gonna see how long that lasts um i mean whatever i you know as
1: as i've mentioned before on the show um i am married to a librarian the other white boy at the book party and he dog ears his library books (sighs) you heard it here first fam Breaking if news. you would like
0: to make a citizen's arrest, <laughs> his name is Nate. <laughs> and he's a librarian who's really tall and he's usually wearing a baseball hat. That there is you true. go. Find, find him. Find him, dude. We give you full liberty to make a citizen's arrest. Okay, another thing I feel really weird about with library books that I realized when I went on a trip was taking them out of state okay it just feels like a little naughty i yeah, can't like explain why you're gonna why. go like you go out of state and
1: then just like the book <laughs> is gonna explode because it it just knows. Starts,
0: it's like an alarm it's like, <laughs> <laughs> insecurity at the airport they're like ma'am what is this i'm like oh my god it's a fucking library book i'm so sorry
1: and they're like lock her up
0: <laughs> uh brown women have been locked up for
1: far <laughs> less worse heard Far less worse. Um, I actually do remember having a similar thing when I was like in my early 20s and using the library a lot because I was in AmeriCorps and I had no money to buy books. <laughs> um, that wasn't my early 20s, first of all. I was 27, but I remember going out of state. All 20s feel early if you ask me. It's anything under... 40 feels early it's true at this point um yeah so i i do remember being like wait am i allowed to like go places with this book and then i mean yeah what the worst that can happen is that the library will charge you for losing it
0: it's true i know but it just feels like a little treasure that you have that you're not supposed to have you know like like when like your mom would pack you like a little extra candy that you weren't supposed to have at lunch my mom never packed
1: my lunches on account of um a very cool childhood.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know about that. that. <laughs> and on that note, let's get on with the show. Yes, yes. Brown Girl Book Party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have gathered here today to discuss June's book. Yeah, we have. The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer. Also, by the way, guys, before we forget, because we're so good at it. I'm Rosa.
1: Oh, I'm Shannon.
0: We are the Brown Girls at the book party. We fucking suck (laughs) at introducing (laughs) ourselves. Every time we're just like, hi. We just feel famous. (laughs) We're like, "Mm." oh, our um, Apple podcast review has eight reviews and ratings and, and so you should just know who we are already you ended. already know who we, are. <laughs> we have no home training um yeah so here we are we're talking about this book that we um, read we did read it we did read it so we'll start there um you know i think that this what i feel about this book more than anything is kind of stoked that we read a book um that we are not both like clamoring to talk about and be like, oh my God, this is one of the best books I've read this year. Because by and large, with the exception of the survivalists, right, that yeah. has been our experience, is like kind of like can't say enough about it. Right. And also,
1: um, like nonstop texting parts yes. of the books. And this for the first
0: time, there was no exchange. Crickets. <laughs> Radio <laughs> silence. Until last night when we both were like so, hey, like, what do you think? How are you feeling about the book? So do you like the book or are you... Where, how far along are you in the book? Do you yes. want to talk about it? <laughs> Um. So, I think that we can start with some good parts. I think that's probably a good place to start. So, for those compliment of you that did A compliment sandwich, exactly. Um, For those of you that did not read, um, you know, normally right now, I would say change that and you should, but... I think that there's maybe my my personal opinion is that maybe that there is other more compelling things on your TBR at the moment. Um, if you did read it and you loved it, we would absolutely oh, love gosh, to hear from yeah. you um, and hear like a different perspective. There were aspects of it. Obviously we were drawn to it. One huge, very fucking cool thing about this book is that it centers around a death doula and it centers around death and, Our very own Shannon Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. is a certified death doula. Correct. And so it obviously spoke to us and it called called to us. And we are both outside of Shannon's, you know, professional explorations with being a certified death doula. Um, I think that we are both people also who speak very, very openly about our grief. We invite others to speak openly about their grief. It is a topic that we um, are really drawn to for better or for worse. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. and, um, I personally have been obsessed by thoughts of death. I mean, I have, I think I've talked about it on this show before, but I have diagnosed OCD and typically historically that has always presented around death, but lately it's been like this cool new thing that I think I I think I'm having a midlife crisis. And so now these thoughts are surrounding death. Um, are very like much just about the inevitabil- inevitability of it around my father and myself and also my children. It's been so fun to be inside my head. That sounds like a really sick place to vacation. Oh, yeah. Oh God, I'm loving it here, guys. Yeah. Uh, my husband's loving it. We're having a great time. Mm-hmm. So I actually like opened this book and I was like really hoping to sort of lose myself in some complex ideas around death. And, you know, the main character is Clover. She is 36 years old. She is a very practiced death doula who's very, very good at this. For those of you who don't know, Shannon, would you like to tell the people what a death doula is? Because it is a very um, unusual topic. I don't know that a lot of people know what it is. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, you know, so there's lots of different language around like what death doulas are and sort of like depending on where you get your training, there will be different ways that people describe um, their death doulaship. Um, but at its core, being a death doula is a person that is rooted in community and culture in a lot of ways Um and who helps usher somebody from their living space, earth side, to or through their death. Um, so a death doula can take a lot of different um, specialties, essentially. Like you can be uh, someone who, does, who focuses on like legacy planning exclusively, right? And so you're just like working with the person who like... Maybe got a terminal diagnosis, and you're just helping them plan for when they pass and what will, what the family will do. Um, you could be a vigil doula, who is somebody like Clover, who sits bedside while a person is actively dying. Um, you could be a person that is just uh, not just, but a person that is present for like those appointments that are happening. You know, at the end of a person's life, you could be someone who really help someone think about sort of the non-conventional things around death, such as like, who do you want to be? Who do you want to know that you've died once you have died? Right. Or um, where are the things in the house that are hidden? And like, how do you want to be remembered? And do you have any letters that you want written? Um, and death doula's can help with that. So it is like a very layered um, practice. And not every death doula that you meet is going to do all of the things.
0: It sounds like there are like logistical aspects and also more like metaphysical, like yeah. deeper, more emotionally impacting aspects. Yeah.
1: And and it is like you are when you're in that space of like doulaing a person, you sort of are like pausing your own stuff to just be fully present for the person it's
0: heavy that it's you're like supporting.
1: Yeah. And it's not it is not clinical. Like that's the thing that's really important to know about Death Doula. Like the death doulaship is it is not clinical. It does not take the place of therapy or, mm. or grief um counseling. It it is not it is one hundred percent a connection. Like it's emotional support based in community. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like our primary role as death lizard are to help people move forward through their grief. So um,
0: which is very cool.
1: Yeah, because you can end up real fucked up if you don't.
0: Gracious, incredible, serving, selfless <clears throat> work. And so we were so excited when mm-hmm. our beloved Book of the Month, which we are both subscribed members of, um, featured this book. We both, I think, bought it immediately. Did, yeah, you also got yours from Book of the Month. Yes. Yes. And we immediately were like,
1: this is the book we're, we're going to read, read this read month. It. Yeah, we're going to yeah. read it. Um. Oh.
0: So, <laughs> that being said... Um, I, I can't help it in my brain to compare it to the survivalists, not in content at all, because they are totally different. Um, but that was a book that I really did not like that we read in this book club. Actually, it's the only book that we've read this yeah. year that I did not like, that I did not love. Yeah. Every other book that we have read, we have just been like really enamored with.
1: But we also like fiercely hated the survival, yes. Like and we tried we really hard. It. We didn't finish it right. and we tried really hard to get as yes. far into it as we did for the for the good of this community. Right. For <laughs> our good work to you, you're welcome. Yeah, our this our labor We'll post our
0: Venmos. I'm just kidding. Um I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> A bitch got to eat. So for the collected regrets of Clover though, we did finish it. I think Mm -hmm. we both agree that it wasn't, like, laborious to do that necessarily.
1: No, I read it in, like, three sittings.
0: Yes. And that says something. The book is very simple. I think that is, like, a first place that we can kind of start. In terms of, like, character development, the movement of the plot line, the structure of the story felt very, like, elementary to me.
1: I think one of the things that is so... Disappointing about this book is that you read about it online, like you know, for us, it was like book of the month, or and you know, then you go to Goodreads and you like, you know, you read all the shit, including when you get the book, Reading the Book Jacket, which is like it's promising, it's a promising description, right? Yes. Like this person is a death doula and how do they like, they are learning how to live a more full life as a result of being so being in such close proximity to loss and being challenged by their proximity to loss. Yes. Um. But it is this book, it is, it begs in almost in like, no, I'm just going to say it. This book begs in absolutely every moment for just the tiniest bit more complexity like honestly the book would be better if if there was just i i don't know like just a tiny bit more imagination oh yeah for the i mean because we talk about like character development right it's there is none You don't get to watch these characters
0: grow at all. They're super flat. She puts them on the page. She tells you what their purpose is. Like literally very like this is the purpose of this character. And whatever their purpose is, is directly impacting Clover, who's like moving you through the story. Um, I think Sebastian is a really good example of that. And his whole story arc and character arc is so cringe to me. He runs into Clover at a... Death cafe. A death cafe. Which is By a real way, thing. Yes, I want to go so bad. Oh, I used Very to host cool. them. That is so, so, so cool. Um, And he basically just, like, starts stalking her. Okay? He, yeah. like, fa- runs into her at a death at a death cafe she doesn't want to fuck with him she doesn't want to talk to him she's making it super clear he chases her basically to the subway not literally like not not like she's running and he's running after her like she's running away from him but basically oh yeah she is 100% like up until
1: I'm trying to what was their first date I mean it was like even it wasn't even as if like she had absolutely no inclination to have a any sort of relationship with this person at all. And he was just like, Hey there. Uh, So do you want to go have a drink? You want to go have dinner? You want to go? Like he was not picking up what she was putting down at all, which I think is another, it's a problem in the story that is Clover, how Clover came to be the person that she is, which is a 36 year old death doula, um, who has no experience with romantic relationships. She's never been kissed. Um, she has really just like put a wall up around herself in terms of relationships with the exception of uh, her her late grandfather. Yes. It, the, in, she lives in his apartment and has not changed it since he died. Right. And also this character named Leo who lives in the apartment building who is also an older adult grandfather light yes
0: and i want to say that to me all of those details set the stage for something really important to happen it could have been so much better like when we're talking about the areas where we see like this story could have gone in a different direction this story could have been extremely lovable and really heartfelt and really like crack your heart open and really make you feel shit and like all the things we're looking for any reader is really looking for in a book but it was flat. So it was yeah. all of these things. But then all of these unbelievable things would happen. Like, you know, Clover being really heartbroken. I think one important idea that was explored through this book that I think is very real and super important. I can relate, again, not to bring up, keep bringing up therapists, but just thinking about work that is emotionally laborious, that can affect you in, like, big ways as your job. That Clover is a death doula, but has her own unresolved grief feels very real to me. And it feels like yes. a topic absolutely worth exploring and writing a 300-page book about, 100%. I think that, that it is a common belief that if you are practiced in something like therapy or death doulaship or you're some sort of expert in some area, that that means the way that it touches your life, that you're it's good different. at it right? That the idea is that you're then good at it, but that's not real at no. all. I mean, my therapist friends are the most fucked up people that I know. Love you all. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I think that that, so to me I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, right. I love that this is what this person's doing. Like, I love that this is, like, this juxtaposition, obviously, of her being so ex- expertised in this area, but having totally fucking unresolved grief around her grandfather and her parents and the way that they sort of just, like, left her pretty uninterested. Like, they die in the story, but but that's not even like a main theme of her life which I think is also believable her grandfather was this like really powerful and epic person in her story but the thing that like then there's all these other details around her like the reason that she is 36 and a virgin and never been kissed and has never been in a relationship is because one time when she was 20 and she was traveling she met this guy who was using her and they had like a week of interactions or something and she
1: convinced herself that he was obsessed with her.
0: Which like any person reading the story. You're
1: no, you're reading it and you're just like, don't do Clover. Don't. Yes, He's totally using you. Clover, don't yes. do it.
0: <laughs> but you're also like, I personally was not like that. I was like, this is dumb. Like, I think I seriously was just like, I don't know. I Clover feels too real and smart to me to just like have To have that be her heartbreak is a disservice to her.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, there's there's so much room with this book to tell a really brilliant story around love and loss and finding oneself through quirky community. Right. Because that's that's what this book is. It's. A person who has experienced tragedy and has also found themselves in, you know, an, an unconventional community that that could afford so much, so much support, yeah. so much room for flourishing. But instead, we just have this character that the author has really just stifled. I mean, yeah. she has she has not done Clover well in this story Clover is Someone who You know at five years old Her parents die And that shapes her Mm -hmm. right And it it shapes her because not Not only did her parents both Die in this car accident but also she didn't Have a great relationship with them anyway they were Sort of she she talks A few times throughout the book about her parents Being sort of like Detached Mm -hmm. right just like not fully Mm -hmm. present Um And so she learns so much through this relationship with her grandfather who becomes her parental figure and her her everything. Mm -hmm. And he is incredibly smart and he is wildly observant and he has all of these lessons to teach her that as you're reading the things that he says to her and then... Putting that up against the character of Clover that we're being shown in the book, you're like, this is, this is not the same. There's absolutely no way that a person that has experienced these things and then had this level of emotional support as a young child after a trauma, yes, there is no fucking way, right, that she has turned into this person.
0: I mean, she's just kind of daft. Yeah like and it's not and that's the thing is that it's just not believable and so then it's frustrating. And then it also inhibits there's no ability for you to become invested in any of these characters because no like you read a book as a reader, you're the characters in the book are your friends. Nobody right. in this book was my friend. No, like, I, I was, couldn't become friends with any of them except maybe Leo.
1: I was I did I did like the the moments with Leo and I wished I mean at a certain point I just had longing for more stories about her grandfather. Yes. Um but also like understanding that that creates a tension because the more you learn about her grandfather the more you're like this author really fucked this character over yes. by not giving her more. Depth. Um
0: more opportunity, more more investment. Um it really feels like it was kind of just like banged out and I I hate to say that but I mean it is evident also in our supporting characters. So Leo, who we brought up, mm-hmm. I mean, not likable, not likable, no redeeming no. qualities at all. He's like, and it's confusing because he's kind of like introduced as pop, probably the love interest. And I will say, like, I'm very glad that it wasn't so cliche that like Leo was the love. I'm sorry, not Leo, Sebastian. I I think I just said Leo. This whole last little bit that I was talking, I actually meant Sebastian.
1: The grandson of the... We haven't even gotten there.
0: Yes. So, Sebastian, who is the person that she meets at the... Death Cafe. Yeah. Did I call him Leo earlier, too?
1: You did call him Leo, yeah.
0: We're grannies. Sebastian... Certifiably. Who she meets at the Death Cafe's... Um. And who I maybe earlier referred to as Leo chasing her through the subway that whole time I was referring to the character Sebastian, but you probably knew that if you read the book anyways, um, he is really flat and very unlikable. The first date that they go on is like really the whole thing feels very forced. He's not, he's very cold. Their interactions are very cold. And then you like realize like, okay, the author is doing this on purpose, but it doesn't feel obvious at first. No. It feels poorly written and poorly executed. It doesn't feel like this character is meant to represent something else. Also, you can't have a character like that that's not ultimately the love interest but is obviously a love interest without having any fucking redemption. Make right. them have some f- charm. Make uh, one none. little spark needs to spark. I need to believe it because otherwise again it just feels flat and it doesn't do anything for me and I don't care about reading about it and it's awkward and uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, there's I think something that really frustrated me was one of the many things that frustrated me um was that like the absence of any sort of emotional anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it was all so dry, yes. so flat, so basic, my it just begs for more creativity. Mm-hmm. Except for the moments when Clover is sharing lessons learned while she sits bedside. Yes. there are True. some very beautiful reflections. And poignant, yeah, yeah. There's, there is, there are moments that are very poignant, but I think. It sucks. And I think as somebody who is a death doula, I'm also like personally offended by the story that is a person experiences a number of great losses Mm. and then becomes a death doula and their only depth is the things that they have, the thoughts that they have stolen from people's deathbed reflections. Yeah. Like, because that's not actually, certainly... There is a there that exists, right? We learn from each other, but that's the story. It's, it's community, it's connection. Right. It's about, you know, how beauty can be born in chaos. Right. And, but that is not the story that was told here. It no. was just this weird, like, I, it felt like the author put a bunch of little stories on pieces of scrap paper and then pulled them out. Mm. Every time she wrote a chapter Mm -hmm. and was like, this is what I'm going to write about now. Yeah. And I'm just going to like throw all this stuff that might not make any fucking sense.
0: Yes. And then like, so that that's like the the arc of Clover And Sebastian, and like why you at at first believe that she's hesitant about becoming serious or having any sort of actual romantic ties with Sebastian is because of this one story that happened to her when she was 20 that's not believable and isn't real. Oh gosh, I
1: forgot that's even what we were talking about.
0: Yes. and Tim. Tim, yes. And is the kind of thing that happens to all of us you know like all women have an experience where a guy is trying to use them for something all guys have an experience where a woman is trying to use them for something that's like a relatable it's like story but all it's not all people
1: in relationships have had this yes. experience
0: all human yes. people have had this human experience it it is not profound or weighted or like aggressively terrible enough to like shut us off from the world
1: no it's one of those things especially as a fucking 20 year old you're just like you're reading this part of the book and you're like wait She's 20 and she's experienced this thing that is, is it massively disappointing because you've convinced yourself that this person is obsessed with you and that you've talked yourself into a space where you're going to ask them out and you're otherwise just, you know, a really fiercely introverted person. Yes. Yes. It is massively disappointing. Yes, it's even a formative experience. Yes. But I do not believe that it is the experience. The one. The one. Yes. The one and only. Yes. That then closes that person off for the next 16 years until she makes a decision. To give this guy who was like stalking Stalking. her at a death cafe a chance. It's so. But also as motivated by Sylvie. So there's that part. So then
0: the same formula is applied to Sylvie. The exact same formula. We hear a story about Clover when she was in, I think, middle school. She tries to make a friend. She feels like she has a chance because this friend is like new in town. Her name is She They make a connection in class and um, Clover gets really wrapped up in the idea that they could actually be friends. She's never had any friends yet. And she makes a plan to pursue Prithia in like a platonic way. And then Preetia is like, sorry, I know that you're a weird girl Mm -hmm. and so we can't be friends, which I think is a thing that happens.
1: It is a thing that happens. And
0: I think, again, it is a thing that can be really formative, but it is not everybody has experienced romantic and platonic rejection at that level. Right. And most people, yeah, maybe they don't have the traditional like social lives or friendships or relationships that we see in movies that are not real anyways, but they have connections that form right. them and so it's just like those were my biggest notes reading through all of it was like how am I supposed to get invested in this character and follow this story when I don't even like these people Sylvie is also not a likable friend and she's also kind of a stalker she meets Clover oh, she's 100% a stalker she, there she's not likable she met, no. in the first moment she's calling her C and shortening her name in a way that's like also not that's like a thing that happens over time with friendship, and then again, right. just circling back, like I feel like Mickey Brammer is like really speeding through. It felt like she had a deadline. It it she yeah. does not give any of these characters the weight and the depth that they deserve, so that we can believe and feel and relate to their relationships to each other. This
1: this book would have <laughs> it could be. So much better if Mickey Brimmer would have focused on two to three characters.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, having a narrative arc that was cohesive. Yeah. But instead, when you have this sort of repetitive formula of a person is disappointed and therefore... They close themselves off to everything and everyone and they never become anything more than the person that they were like always meant to be right. or whatever. You know, it's just like I think the other thing about Clover, as I was talking, I was thinking that we're also supposed to believe that Clover traveled the world essentially as she was working on her thanatology thesis. Yes. So we're supposed to believe that she is a person who, like, went out into the world yeah. and, like, traveled all on her own. And this is – her grandfather dies while she's in Cambodia, I believe. Yes. Um,
0: Super informative to her character arc. Right. Yes.
1: And she finds this out through an email. And when she finally gets on the phone with the person who is, you know, the doctor who's like, I'm so sorry, but, you know, your grandfather has died. She has to leave because her bus is leaving. And so any, – but anyway – she is this person who is like spent time in in spaces outside of what is comfortable to her
0: on her own independently, on her own, and and traveling we, the world,
1: and we're supposed to believe that she is not uh, open to human connection.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's, thank you, unbelievable. It's
1: not, it's one hundred percent not believable. So
0: another thing is, and I know that you had like a few pages of the book left that you didn't totally finish so you might not know this i don't remember if it happens in the last few pages bessie the bookstore owner ends up being a person that her grandfather had a very long and casual romantic relationship with Mm. and it is unbelievable to me that bessie would not have been the person that made the call to clover to tell her that her grandfather died because she is a woman who is a fixture in her life who she right. goes to visit at the bookstore all the time. Sure, they're not friends, but they're the closest thing that Clover has to a she's Bessie is the closest thing that Clover has to a friend outside of Leo. Yeah. Her elderly neighbor there's just like no circumstance where that character Bessie who owns a bookstore, who is obviously like emotionally in depth and like very intuitive. One of her characteristics is that she always knows what kind of book to suggest to her different customers that come in regularly that she wouldn't know not to tell Clover.
1: Yeah. I mean, we also learn through Clover and Leo's, you know, weekly hangs that Bessie, that, that, Clover's grandfather really did struggle with assuming the parental relationship after or the the, being the parental figure after Clover's parents died. Right. But he never allowed Clover to see that he was he just was he was vulnerable with Leo and Bessie. Right. 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 He used Bessie as the person to help him you know, with the bra buying and right. the and the menstrual shit and, like, all this all this stuff. That, like, comes out at some point, and then all of a sudden we're just supposed to believe that...
0: No. Like, and the rando people.
1: doctor emails? The doctor yes. emails? No.
0: And also that Leah wouldn't tell her. I mean, there's yeah. just two obvious other characters that could have been the people. So there was lots of plot holes like that that I just, like, could not get past. I could not get into a good groove with it. I, um, really... The redemption, there are two redeeming characters in this story. The first is Claudia, who is the grandma.
1: Yeah, I really, really liked Claudia.
0: I really liked her too. However, and this is something I said to Shannon before we started recording, this book feels almost like a bot wrote it. (laughs) There is a very big lack of depth. So Claudia's character as a character, again, great skeleton Mm -hmm. for a character she is like moneyed and she's you know she has all these great life experiences and she's like funny in a biting kind of way that like many like older you know upper class women sort of are in this way that's very charming and we really like Claudia and you like her right away but she's not original and she doesn't feel real she feels like a bot Consumed a bunch of information about the prototype of this character. And then that bot wrote her on the page. I think
1: one of the greatest. Um, flags <laughs> of that is. The story, the Hugo storyline. Yes. Where you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like you're trying to make this woman Who. Yeah, is moneyed and and, you know, just like seeped in the upper class, you know, schoolionaire culture and she's dying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and of course, her family's not telling her that she's dying. But of course, she knows that she's dying right. because that just it it falls in line with her character. Um, And then you learn that she doesn't regret having her children or being married, but she actually was never, like, truly in love with her spouse because she met this guy this one time when she was in Paris. (gasps) And, you know, he's, like, standing on the street corner, basically, and she's like, hubba hubba. Right. And then, you know, she hangs out with him, and they fall deeply, truly, madly, deeply in love with one another. and But she's already engaged, so she has to go back to... Uh, New York, and marry this man, and then have this whole ass fucking life with him, mm-hmm. and never once mm-hmm. looks for Hugo
0: when her grandfather, when her husband dies, like a decade before.
1: Yeah, what? What the actual?
0: And okay. Also, and then go ahead. The the w-
1: the way that they the way that Mickey Brummer decided to to introduce this story. Was, like, by trying to give Clover and Claudia this, like, human connection moment, right? Where they're, like, going through old stuff. And Clover's, like, who's this? And Claudia, like, grasps her pearls and is, like, I haven't seen that picture in decades. And it's a picture of Hugo that we're just supposed to believe, like, she forgot about.
0: No. No. (laughs) And then, and then Hugo moves. We find out later Oh this that is inf- Hugo This is infuriating. Moves <laughs> leaves his life in fucking France, okay? First of all, he left France to live in fucking America. And they just lived like 400 miles from each other. Also not only did he
1: just leave France to live in fucking America, but he left France to leave in, to live in fucking Maine yeah, on a houseboat in Maine. Like <laughs> And, and yeah, they live a seven hour drive away from each other.
0: Right. And so the whole time you're like, why didn't he reach out to her? Like, what's going on? And then, you know, our characters go. They find out that he died, like, of course, conveniently two months before this story's happening.
1: 100%, I slammed the book shut. So
0: annoying. And then <laughs> conveniently, everyone's like, why? Why didn't Hugo go look for Claudia? Well, Hugo's grandson, Hugo Jr., happens to have this box of letters from uh. Claudia that Claudia sent him and conveniently three letters that he wrote to Claudia that he never sent and the last one explains that he saw Claudia in the bookstore in New York with her with him quote unquote with him And in this moment, he's like on this like upper story of the bookstore and he's looking down and he sees that glint in her eye that he thought she only reserved for him. And she's looking at her now new husband with that eye, those eyes. And so he leaves her.
1: Okay, this is about as believable as a person (laughs) finding the dude they have a crush on, making out with somebody in a janitorial closet and then deciding never, ever again to have another relationship ever in their life period see
0: also this very book 200 <laughs> pages before it's absolutely it's
1: uh, i just am infuriated by the storytelling and i'm not like the situation The like my honest so my honest assessment of the book is like holy shit you could have done so much better with yeah. absolutely everything on these pages yes it just, like, the ing- the ingredients were not yes. mixed together well.
0: Right. They were there, though. The ingredients were They were all were there. Good.
1: Yeah. There was so, there's so much, I mean, even, you know, as we're talking about it right now, it's like, you and I, in an hour, can make this story better. Right. Than...
0: And I think that's, like, a hard thing about criticizing books. Like, I have thought a lot about this podcast and how we've made a commitment to you, our listeners, and to ourselves to be very, really honest when we are surveying these books and how we really feel about them. And as an aspiring writer myself, I – and also as, like, a <laughs> um, a lifelong baseball fan who has serious issues with, like, um, just – the idea of karma and superstition. I'm like, man, I'm just like shit talking this author. And you know, I'm not a published author. I've, I've not written and like put a book out into the world. And so I do want to recognize that it's easy for us to sit here and be like, she could have done all these things better. Also though, it's hard for me to see this white female author getting all of this traction on this book um that has like a beautiful cover it's like very compelling the cover is very much like contemporary fiction right now the ideas are really um interesting and unique and they're touching on things that we as a society believe are taboo and that's really cool and that was enough that was enough to put this book on the shelves of really like big bookstores in the book of the month selection. And and that makes me feel disappointed. The other thing that's really disappointing about this story is the absolute fuck all off lack of diversity. There are no brown people in this book except Leo, who, by the way, also has a gold tooth, like is the only black character in the book with a fucking gold gold tooth. tooth. Go fuck yourself. Honestly, like I have no time for that shit. That pisses me off. And I feel like it really is a testament to how... I mean, I don't know how that... I... And again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to my future writing self who is going to get some gnarly book reviews. And I do know that if I ever publish a book, man, people are going to come for me. And I recognize that. I do not understand how this book got published. I do not understand how this book got in the hands of so many people. I mean, I think that,
1: you know, when you're looking through the reviews of the book, it's a lot of folks quoting the one-liners that are poignant. Mm. It's it's a lot. I think that in some like I think that in some ways if you are a person who's drawn to this book, it it probably means that you are experiencing or have experienced a level of grief that you're looking for, like, a balm for. And absolutely, if you go through this...
0: Doesn't that make you and, mad, though? That makes oh, me feel like she is absolutely, like, playing and, like, capitalizing on people's emotions. Like, okay, sure, do that because no, it's relevant. No, 100%. And, yeah,
1: it is. I think it is also... I mean, in some ways, I think it also just speaks to the very real, like, white people love some hella basic shit.
0: <laughs> hmm Because I would be I love like, how you, like, hushed your voice before you said that, but, like, went closer into the microphone. Well, because
1: I really want people to hear it.
0: Yeah. Just the idea of, like, I'm about to say some shit right now, but it's to you, microphone and white listeners. White people are
1: so basic. <laughs> White people lack creativity.
0: I mean, I, but I just, I like, just... feel like it, they, it, people don't really get away with that as much anymore. Like, that's what, this was, like, just, like, a stark reminder of that, like, still existing. Because, like, okay, like, The Survivalist, as a, as a different example, the problem with that book, it was, it was too fucking creative. There was so much going on on those pages. Oh, my like, gosh. Hard They're to just follow. Like, <laughs> Reign it in. Yes. And also, like, just at those two books, the two books that we did not love from Brown Girl Book Party. As examples, one against the other, one authored by a black woman and one authored by a white woman and the one authored by a black woman is doing too much because that is what we feel like we have to do all the time. Yes. Yeah. And the one authored by a white woman is like mm, mm, love, mm, mm. kissing, mm, death, mm, mm. Paris, letters, <clears throat> go fuck yourself, dude. Not you, not you, author who I hope never listens to this podcast, but just the general yeah. idea of how absolutely fucked that is. It's fucked. It no, I mean it is.
1: I'm also disappointed that someone who like writes for Architectural Digest so who, like has an ability to describe things in a way that is compelling compelling poetic accurate good yeah um (laughs) did this yeah because very much it is a thing where it's like clover opened up a beer on a 108 degree day and she drank it and she went "Ah," and that is because it's hot and beer tastes good that's another thing that happens in this (laughs) book is those descriptions
0: (laughs) are like her body shivered. It shivered because she was longing for him. We fucking know why it shivered, dog. Yeah, she, we're all people whose bodies shiver when we're trying to like see somebody we like. We get it.
1: She creamed her chonies <laughs> because when she saw Tim, all, all she saw was possibility. <laughs>
0: Anyways, the most redeeming thing about this book to me was Hugo Jr. Because I think I was desperate at that point to like (laughs) cling on to something. No, 100%. You're like, oh, wow, he's likable. Okay, we got this. He has like some depth to him. He has curly black hair on top of his head. He looks like the fucking main character of, oh, God, what's that show? Entourage. (laughs) That's who I was picturing in my head. Okay. What's his name? Um, What's that actor's name? Damn, my husband's going to listen this and he's going to be like, Rosa, can you just know one famous person's name? I can't. But I will say that that man is hot and that's how I pictured Hugo. And he lives on a fucking like houseboat and he just has this little dog. And like, yeah, and he like, dude. travels back and forth
1: yeah. and he's an architectural
0: engineer or some shit. He I think is an architectural like landscaper, some, he, like, whatever, makes yeah. gardens or something. But he's hot. And also he makes. Clover quiver because which, she likes Hugo. Which the author is like.
1: <laughs> so Clover sees Hugo Jr. and is like, hubba hubba. Yes. And that is because she is sexually attracted,
0: attracted to him. To him. <laughs> yes. Um, and that and you know what was really trash about that was like he could have been introduced so much sooner. He should have been introduced so much sooner. That the the whole thing that happens with Hugo Sr. and Claudia could have happened over 150 pages. She could have really drawn that out and given a lot more detail and depth and it would have been like so much more interesting to read. You don't need to just like do everything in like super chronicle, chronicle, Uh,
1: chronological.
0: (laughs) That order, um, you know, it was just very elementary. It was, um, I would not, And if you know me, you know that this is a big statement. I would not have finished this book if I was not reading it for Brown Girl Book Party. Not because it was painful. Ditto. But because...
1: I was not
0: sold. (laughs) It was just unbelievable. I was
1: was sold a product that I did not receive.
0: Can we speak to your manager?
1: Hi. um, I'd like to speak to your manager, please, about how the collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer was... A nice try.
0: There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, clearly a nice try and not hot five from both of us. Um, Our collected regrets of the Brown Girl Book Party is that we made you guys read this book this month. So... um,
1: but but again, if you liked it, get at us on the Instagrams. Cause
0: shamey, 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 <laughs> shamey, 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 shamey. But honestly, if you liked it, we still really love you and we want to talk to you. I just want you to, <laughs> you know, we just
1: really want to hear your perspective and maybe you can change our minds. But this book was terrible.
0: <laughs> we don't want to shame you. And we don't
1: want to shame you. We actually do. Like, you know, I, th- I'm i sure there are people out there who like The Survivalist.
0: Oh, yeah. There's also people out there on Goodreads who liked this book. They're, they're they're all white. Oh, yeah. I mean, that checks out. <laughs>
1: and they live in Granite Bay.
0: So, um, you know, it is not easy to talk so candidly about somebody's work. Like, I do yeah. have really complicated feelings about that. But also, 100%. I, just, I am who I am. And you are who you are. And, you know, we are here to deliver the content. And we read this book. And we have a lot of opinions about it. So we're not going to keep that to ourselves. That's um, not why you listen to this. Right. Um. But we are excited to announce July's book. So stay tuned for that episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um,
1: XOXO.
0: Gossip Girls. <laughs>
1: Bye. Bye. <laughs>